Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Audio Book Club. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, the founder of Content is Queen. Audio Book Club is a monthly event and podcast where we celebrate and discuss Black, Asian, queer and female narratives in literature. Every month, we meet with other audio bookworms to discuss an audiobook recommended by you. But, and it's a big one, you can still attend the live event even if you've read and not listened to the book. We'll share our live discussion in every episode, followed by an interview and Q&A with a featured guest. If we're lucky, we'll have the author, but expect to hear from voice actors, directors, editors and book critics too. Join us for the next live event and taping on Sunday the 30th of May at 4pm UK time, where we'll be getting stuck into Nervous Conditions by Titi Dangaringba. You can register to attend at contentisqueen.org forward slash ABC6. The link is also in the show notes. If you can't make it, feel free to send your thoughts and even your questions to us on WhatsApp on plus four four double seven one five four zero double eight three one. That's plus four four double seven one five four zero double eight three one. Also available in the show notes. Oh, and apologies in advance, but you'll have to expect some spoilers. This week, we're discussing Love in Colour by Bolu Babalola. Love in Colour contains a collection of love stories inspired by tales of the past. Debut author Bolu Babalola takes the most beautiful and shocking love stories from history and mythology and retells them, making the women the heroine of their own love story. The book reimagines magical folktales of West Africa, iconic Greek myths, and ancient legends from South Asia. Bolu takes a step in decolonizing tropes of love by creating new stories inspired by the wildly beautiful tales that already exist in so many communities and cultures. She puts a spin on all these tales by giving women a sense of agency and knowing their worth rather than them being slaves to men or in full view of the male gaze. We learn about an unappreciated high-born Nigerian goddess, an ambitious young businesswoman, and a powerful Ghanaian spokeswoman to name a few. But all of them are having to make tough decisions in the face of love. Love in Colour is a celebration of romance in all its form. Here's what's coming up. Our favourite stories. Oh, I can actually really connect with the really feminist message here this woman who's been put in this forced slash arranged marriage and she's got this old man wrapped around her finger who's the king and she's just doing her thing living her life in her cave with her men and i was like all right this is cool actually surprising twists on history it is mad how all these old tales how horrendous they are towards women so i think it was great how women were the forefront and just championing these devastating tales that women were written to moments that were completely relatable 
that was based on a bunch of bad dates. Like any millennial woman who dates men can really relate to that one. And you've all been on a date where you've just checked out and you're like, I'm just going to enjoy this as a spectator. All this and so much more. Let's get into it. First up, let's meet this week's audio bookworms. Hi, I'm Amber and I'm one of the co-producers of Audio Book Club and I work alongside Imriel at Content is Queen. Hi, I'm Anita Powell and I do community work in Bedfordshire. I'm Sandra and I'm an educator. Thank you everybody for being here. So this week we were reading or listening to Love in Colour by Bolu Babalola. It is a very new, a recent release. It came out last year, I believe. And it is our very first short story collection. I felt like maybe we should just mix it up and have something a little bit lighter, a little bit sexy, a little bit fun, a little bit love for spring. So let's dive in and just overall opinions or thoughts on this collection. I enjoyed the book. It took me a little bit to get into it. I think because it's very poetic language throughout and I need like straight to the point. If you're walking down the road, tell me you're walking down the road. But it was very beautiful language written in a very beautiful way. But yeah, that took me a while to really engage with it. It was different for me because I know all of these were based on myths and legends. And a lot of them I didn't know, had no clue of what the legend was. So it was nice not knowing because you got a different take of a story and it became completely original. I did really appreciate the author's note at the end because it it did give some explanation and it was nice to have women at the forefront of these stories and it being a complete celebration and it just kind of made you wish love was actually like that (laughs) in these stories. Like it made love seem so beautiful and yeah, everyone really loved each other. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was a nice celebration and the story's really cool. I really liked the Psyche story where it was based on like Greek gods, but Miranda Priestley, Devil Wears Parada, but in Olympus, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, I really like that story. I have to say that it took me quite a while to get into the book. Yes, and the stories. At the beginning, I was almost giving up. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes, simply because... I just could not understand it. Like Amber said, there were some stories that I did not have any idea. But instead of finding it, wow, 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 I was just trying to link it to another story. Mm. So I just found it quite hard at the beginning. And uh, I have to say that I quite enjoyed it. Now, yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I really liked that one. And that's one of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. That was beautiful. I thought, just thought, oh my gosh, this is, yes, I want to listen to this one again. So uh, there were a couple more, but in my case, what I think is because I'm not that used to listening to books, to me, it depends on a lot on the narrator mm. for me to enjoy the story. If the voice is not quite what I think it should be, for the intonation is not, you know, oh, this sentence should be like this. And so this is one of the reasons why I had to stop some of them, because obviously when you're reading, you're listening to your own voice. Mm. Yes. But when you're listening to somebody, it's completely different. So that to me has some impact on the story. Yeah, I agree with you with the whole linking thing, because I found it very metaphorical. They'd be describing someone and I'm like, well, are you a person or are you meant to be a metaphor for a river? What's real? What's <laughs> not? Yeah. When you read the author's note, she's describing the sinew 
and how there was loads of magpies and the actual bird had some real significance. And she's like, well, how do I do this in a modern retelling? And so she turned it into the hotel instead. So there's some bits that's like, what's real and what's not. Yeah, I agree. I think there were definitely stories that I connected to almost instantly. So I was hooked from start to finish. And some stories I got halfway through and I was like, I have no idea what's happening. And I agree with you, Sandra. I think you raise a really good point about the narration because I think there are about three or four different narrators across the stories. And actually, I found the one that I liked the most. The ones who did the West African voices, there was a particular narrator where I was able to engage in those stories a little bit better. So that was Atem's story, which on my second listen, I was like, oh, I actually like this. And I think it's because I listened to it a second time and I was like, oh, I can actually really connect with the really feminist message here. This woman who's been put in this forced slash arranged marriage. It was teetering on the edge. And then she basically, she's the youngest one and she's got this old man wrapped around her finger who's the king and she's just doing her thing, living her life in her cave with her men. And I was like, all right, this is cool, actually. Atom was 21 and married to a withered old man who repulsed her. A king, yes but a man nonetheless. Men, Atom found, were fools in general, and Ophiong was perhaps the biggest fool of them all. This worked well for Atom. He was so bewitched by her mimicry of affection and so arrogant in his belief in his desirability that Atom found she could virtually live her life the way she pleased. She could keep him distracted by his base desires while she attended to hers. And so she set out every fourth day to shop for more than just trinkets. She would pick out a man on sight and send Afia to interview them later. When Afia was satisfied that they met Atem's requirements, she would bring them, under cover of darkness, into Atem's secret quarters, a cave in the hills above the village. In the morning, they were smuggled out. It was a smooth operation that depended on the cunning of the women courtiers that Atem kept close. Atem's indoor equerries and guards were mostly servant women that Atem freed, educated and trained to be part of her retinue. I think my standout stories were, like you mentioned, Amber, Psyche, Yah was by far one of my favourites. I liked Atom's story, I liked Zinu's story, and I liked Thisbe's story. Actually, Yah and Thisbe's story probably tie for me in terms of relatability. I felt like those stories were clear. So you know how you were talking about the language being quite poetic and flowery, and I agree with you. It was like a lot of big words that just felt maybe a little bit much for me and for the average reader. But those two stories, they were just so modernized that it was like, oh, I'm going outside to get my hitch ride. And then I'm just like stumbled upon my former lover who made me feel comfortable. And it just felt really normal compared to some of the others where it's clearly being reimagined and she's putting in the original features like Mount Olympus and talking about all of the historical references to make it really clear that that's what it's a retelling of. Whereas Yard's and Thisbe's story, I didn't think were as on the nose. And I actually found myself googling Thisbe's story after reading it because I was like, oh, this is so intriguing. How has she managed to retell this in a university hall setting? What is this based on? And I just found it quite magical in that sense. So I think I quite liked Loving Colour overall, simply because I found the experience just quite joyful on balance, even though I didn't love every story. And I think that's like anything that you get where there's loads of different things. Not everything's going to be outstanding or remarkable, but I could connect with those ones. What was Thisbe based on? Thisbe is a character that appears in the work Metamorphoses by the Roman poet Ovid. 
And she lived in Babylon and was the lover of Pyramus. And they lived in a connected house, but were forbidden to marry by their parents, who were rivals. So it was a bit like Romeo and Juliet. It did have that vibe of them just being really different and always being separated by that wall. And I was like, oh, that wall feels... I didn't live in halls, but (laughs) I know about those walls in halls being so thin, so paper thin, and you can just hear absolutely everything. I just found the connection and the way she wrote about their connection whilst at university was just so beautiful and so simple it was like the essence of having a crush and being in love with somebody and I was like oh that's nice and that was the last story of the old tales and then Mm. we moved into the new tales and I found I could not connect with the new tales at all like I honestly couldn't tell you what they were about listening to the author's note it is mad how all these old tales how horrendous they are towards women and how very misogynistic and the women are just all trapped yeah or enslaved or caged up and so I think it was great how women were the forefront of all these and just championing these devastating tales that women were written to many a year ago. Yeah I agree I think the best part of it is how she retold them with the women as the protagonists and not being the captive or the enslaved Even though I think in some of the stories, that's how they started out, some of them. But they found ways to reclaim power from a situation. And in the original tellings of the stories, in some ways, the author's note's the only clue we get back to what happened, the original versions. But I also think what's quite nice is that it's not prominent what those original stories are. So I'm like, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that we're not given the full backstory as to where they came from? And is this retelling the thing that we would want to be the remembered version? I'd be curious to know from Bolu herself, is that what she's hoping? Is that this supersedes the originals? Because it's like a more modern take and a more like uh, equal viewing of women in history as opposed to these really, really quite horrible. Because some of them, like women were just genuinely just enslaved (laughs) Um, and forced against their will to do all of these things or were witches or were hags and it's not good. It reminds me a lot of Hag which is also an Audible original. It was a retelling of mostly UK folklore and mythology and like it was a load of different female writers retelling stories but they're much 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 shorter. Were there any stories that you wanted to hear more of or like this could have been a whole book in and of itself? Yeah, of course. (laughs) I want the rest of the story. (laughs) I want the happy ending. I want to know what happened to the couple. And, you know, just that one was really interesting, especially because I think it was more of a true love story than Mm. the others. So to me, I'd love to see a sequel of that one. She laughed until her cheeks ached and she shook her head and groaned, wiping her eyes and smearing her makeup happily, messily. Oh, man. You're the love of my life. Adric didn't say anything. He looked into the bustling, glamorous restaurant and then back out into the road. The air in the car felt heavy, but comfortable. The energy between them hadn't aged. It was as fresh, as vital, as fertile as it had always been. And Yar knew then she didn't want to leave it. This was going to be my last ride for the night. Yar looked out into the restaurant. She spotted Kofi walk into the foyer. Kofi who embodied everything that kept her from herself, who had been as imprisoned by expectations and pressure as she was. It was time for them both to be freed. Yar looked at Adric. Then where are we going? Adric turned to her, 
wherever you want to go. I think Atom could have been beefed out a bit because obviously Ichuan, they don't see each other for 36 months in the book. It'd be nice to know what happens in that time for her because obviously she has a son, she has Ichuan's son. So I'd like to know more about what happened with the king. And it was great because you always um, hear the women waiting for the man to come back and now it's the guy having to wait for the woman and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's a good spot because I didn't even think of it like that. My brain did not do the English literature A-level critical analysis of it to like <laughs> be like, oh yeah, that's like a flipping of the script. But everything actually, when you listen to it, maybe because I'm so entrenched in feminism now that I'm like, yeah, of course this is normal. <laughs> like Everything is just, yeah, of course that's how it should be. You don't realise like actually that's not how it was. Um, so that's quite good. I agree with you, Sandra. I want to hear more of what happened to Yar after they drive off into the night time. What happened? Where did you go? I would love to hear more of Atom's story as well. I actually really liked Ocean's story. I don't know if I'm curious enough to know what happened next, but I felt as of the first story, I felt it was quite a strong introduction. And then Shahrazad's story really let me down. Maybe it was the narrator. Maybe it was the story. Maybe it was a combination of the two. I was like, this made me want to not progress, actually, that story. For me, it was mostly the narrator. I finished the story, but it was the same as you said. It was a struggle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it was a slow story. And then suddenly you get to the end where the guy ends up in a car crash because Mm -hmm. he was looking after the girl because someone was after her and he ends up in a coma. And I feel like I just suddenly missed a good 20 minutes as to what's happening. Like, who is after this woman? Why is he protecting her? I feel like I missed a whole chunk. Unless that was meant to be a metaphor for something. Because that's where I was getting confused. Like, did this actually happen or is this a metaphor for your undying love for each other? Yeah, I completely even missed that, Amber. So when you told me that there was a car crash at the end of that story and I was like, was there? I think (laughs) there's something something about me when I can't connect to a story, I genuinely just miss entire plot points. I remember her being very resistant to being in love with him and then eventually allowing herself to love him and I think that was the only part I could connect to within that story was this feeling of unlovingness and I suppose that's what I also liked generally is that you're experiencing all of the different types of love and the different types of relationships and how you relate in those relationships I think on balance everything was covered I do want to play the author's note because I think it would just be helpful when choosing which tales would form a basis for my stories I was careful to select those with themes that I could draw out and weave upon. As many of the original folktales and myths are so ancient, they're impossible to date, and naturally they were rife with misogyny and violence and were created within heavily patriarchal contexts. With this book, I was able to reimagine these stories in a manner that meant that the women were centred. It was less about being chosen and more about their agency in allowing themselves to love and be loved. Nanelli's story, for instance, was originally from a tale entitled How Cosi Chose His Wife, within which the heroine is a woman whose extreme beauty was hidden by her parents with a cloak of crocodile skin to protect her from roving eyes. While hidden in a bush, extremely creepy, Cosi spies on her washing in a pool, disrobed of her crocodile skin, and proceeds to fall in love with her and selects her as his bride. In the original story, the woman has little consent and the prince is predatory. However, with the crocodile skin, 
I saw the potential to write a story about a woman who is judged and treated differently throughout her life because of her external looks, but eventually she learns to love the skin she's in without having to shed anything. I remember listening to Nefertiti's story. This one, I could imagine the place and all those women and all the warriors. Yes, <laughs> see, this is what I remembered is that there's a, yeah. a whole Amazonian tribe yeah. of women. Yeah, it really yeah. gave me Wonder Woman vibes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, that's the one I actually wanted to learn more about or like wish it had elaborated on because something about the story I found really difficult to connect with in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But also I remember being very much hooked by the fact that it became like a queer love story. It was time for me to choose someone for the night. My gaze roamed, swam through the wanting and waiting women and landed on her. The eyes were crystalline and black, piercing right through me and making my soul stand still in shock. Her hair was neatly shorn at the edges, but soft and cloud-like on top, highlighting the cheekbones I wanted to slice my tongue on. The neckline of her black jumpsuit plunged to a depth I wanted to dive into. More than all of this, though, I saw she wasn't flustered. She didn't preen under my attention, even as I raised my arm and twirled my hand in her direction, singing to her and dancing directly towards her. She didn't perform for my affection as the other girls often did. She stayed, stayed with the corner of her mouth lifting ever so slightly, and she lifted her wine glass to her lips and sipped in challenge. I needed to know her. I think there is something about short story collections that then probably speaks to my inability to follow multiple stories and then re-recall them because I don't have the memory for it. And I think actually I have read other short story collections as a physical book and I've found that much easier to retain. And I think actually one of the things that is probably a letdown, at least for my imagination, is that I can't listen to multiple narratives at the same time and it gets muddled in my brain because I'm listening and not reading it and if I read it I'd probably be able to retain that knowledge a little bit better and I think if you've got the same narrator because it was like big blocks of the same narrator so then I think they do end up entwining by accident mm. that's true it feels like the story's being carried on again but it's just because it's the same narrator and the stories are quite similar as well absolutely yes yeah, at that point I felt the same because I wasn't too sure whether the story had ended mm. because it was the same person speaking. And I'm thinking, oh, hang on a minute, is this the same story I'm listening to? Is this another story? So, yes, I think that you should have uh, different narrators, uh, yes, at different points, not, not a, a big block. Yeah. yeah. And because, like you said, Imro, if you listen to several different stories, it's very hard to remember. I had even forgotten. Nefertiti was one of my favorite ones, and I completely forgot yeah. about them. <laughs> so, so, yes. Whereas if I was reading a book, I can read five or six books at the same time wow. and remember every single story and never, never mix them up. But with listening, I just thought, no, no, I'm not too sure. Yeah. They also had very distinct names and were also going from all over the world. Also, one of the great things about the book. So I'd actually probably be quite keen to get a physical copy to see if my experience of reading it would be just different. And if I'm able to retain it because the reviews of the book absolutely love it, but they're not reviewing the audiobook. So It'd be quite interesting to see how they actually compare simply because... Mm -hmm reading a short story and you can probably put it down and really get immersed in that maybe the language feels more accessible in that format as well reading it on the page rather than hearing it and someone else just saying a bunch of flowery words at you and you're just like what are you where did we go how did we end up here I'm lost <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah do you know what I'd really love then actually with it being an audiobook is if it came with a soundscape relating to the place that they're in 
Yeah, if they dramatised it in some way. Yeah, that would really have added a layer of intrigue. And then it would be easy to know when the story ends because then it would be a different whole setup with the soundscape, which would be cool. I wanted to touch on Bolu's original story, Alago Meji. I really, really, really wanted to like this story because it's her story. But I didn't like it. I just could not connect. And it's the story of her parents' love. So I'm really curious to know what you guys thought of it because something about that story I just could not connect to. I just did not feel like I was in that world what I will say as a positive was that it was very clear from when her mum was narrating that there was a lot of love shared between the mum and dad. And that was quite sweet. She knew the love and she felt the love and she was able to express that. That part I found quite beautiful. No, I felt more or less the same because uh, I was expecting it to be the story. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the time in which I'm really going to enjoy everything that I've heard before. Plus, and, uh, I just found it impossible to not only relate to it, but to fully understand the story. To me, there's no link. There's a lot missing. Just talking about this and then the mother changes and she's talking about something else. I I could only understand really that it was a story about her mother and her father. But anything else in the story did not seem to glue together. It just to me wasn't a story. So, uh, yes, I'm afraid that was it. I I wanted so much to have loved it, but I just couldn't. Yeah, I had the same. I couldn't tell you any specifics of it. And maybe it's because it was narrated by the mum. Not that it's any problem with her narrating it, but because she's not a trained narrator or anything and wasn't as excitingly narrated as the other stories. I was like, maybe that's why I'm not as engaged because it's just like she was reading it. But I think that's accurate though. And this is because we're listening to it as an audiobook. Again, it's a case of like, would it be different if we read it? But it definitely felt read. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, thinking of that. Mm. I think that also in that story, that issue where the language was a bit over the top was like tenfold in this story. Lagos is a complicated handshake and a jig. It is a warm, teasing insult meant to denote familiarity. A biogata is a yawn and a stretch. A bulge of the belly after eating pounded jam. Languid, it is an embrace that can make you feel overheated, suffocated. This feeling is compounded by the fact that the town is underneath rocks, huge rocks, so much so that the town is called Under the Rock. The Yoruba people are naturally literary. Our princess swears to shine through the shadows of the rocks, to not become slow and lazy from the heat. Herbert Macaulay Street is a stone's throw from Noble Street. It is on this street that our prince lives in the 70s. When our prince got older, he decided he would only wear traditional Yoruba attire when traveling for work internationally. Let them know who I am, he would say. He was a son of a man who changed his surname from a white man's call, which had been assigned to his ancestors to his father's first name, Babalola, which means father is honor. In a freshly free Nigeria, his new surname also leaves freshly free, heralding a reclamation of rightful ownership, a repossession of the ancestral. Father is honor. Motherland is honor. Our young prince would grow to be one of the most honorable men among men. His first name, translated, is a version of God Loves Me, and just like our princess, 
He's kept and protected by God's love. You kind of dropped into this place and you're like, okay, so we're in Lagos, but without any intimate knowledge of Lagos, I ever need more description or clearer description, which is such a stark contrast to something like Thisbe's story or Psyche's story, where it's just so very clear what's happening. Start to finish, you can follow those stories. It feels like young adult and fresh and very like youthful. Psyche's story, Thisbe's story, even Yar's story, they all have this kind of very youthful, really simple, unassuming way of hooking you in and putting you in that place. I felt like I was in that cab sat next to Yar as she was recounting those feelings that she felt for Indrik. And the same thing with Atem's story. You felt like I've never been in a cave and I don't know what it's like to live in a cave that's been pimped out for a queen, but I can really get a sense of place and a sense of feeling in those stories. So it's quite remarkable, actually, how quickly you can get dropped into another story and just be like, can't relate. (laughs) Don't understand what's happening. It would be interesting to learn a bit more about Bolu's process of writing these and like, did she change locations? How did she feel when she was writing some of these things? Because, yeah, they do all feel very different different and unlinked as you were saying earlier also i just want to say i actually really enjoyed Nalele's story so she has vitiligo and it all starts off with a boy and a girl they've been friends since childhood and then they slowly drift off with the boy becoming more popular because he becomes an athlete and then she's very much the book club girl so it's very rom-com-esque I quite liked it because it reminded me of films I'd watched because I do love a rom-com. It's a guilty pleasure and it gave me those vibes and I thought it ended really lovely of just loving yourself and not caring because it is people just, they're insecure of themselves and that's why they're picking on somebody else. That was cute. Though I only vaguely recognised the voice. It was enough to dissolve my smile and sour my sweet dreaming. I turned around to see Kia head at a tilt, her lips a glossy curve. What was Kia? That little dance, sis. It was cute. She reached out to play with a single one of my braids, like a cat toying with the mouse, and flicked her eyes across me. I can make you cuter, though. I brought my makeup bag with me. We can do a quick makeover. What? No, I don't want to. Kia reached out to tilt my chin up her eyes on the brink between cutesy ice skating rink and snowy abyss. It's just that you would be so pretty without my stomach twisted. Look, all I'm saying is I think that we're the same shade-ish. Well, your brown bits are the same shade, obviously. <laughs> she laughed, and the shards lacerated through the remnants of my good mood. So I can help cover up all those bits on your face. Make it all one colour, eh? So people won't stare when you guys are together. Kosi and I aren't... Her smile shrank, and she became steely. No, you aren't. And you could never be. All this is charity. He's being nice to a girl his mother made him invite. Even if he thinks he likes you. Don't you think eventually he'll get tired of people staring at you like you're a freak? This is for your sake, sis. Eventually, he'll want to be with someone normal. You deserve to be with someone like you. Is it that she jumps into a pool or something? It's like a swimsuit Yeah, thing. and so yeah. it's a really hot summer's day and no one's in the pool. And so she's just like, you know what? Who cares? I remember that. And that is a very sweet story. And I think those are the ones I like the most because much like you, it's not necessarily a rom-com thing. I just really like teen dramas. Um, yeah. I've always yes. loved them. I'm like... 
90210, Gossip Girl, anything on Netflix that's targeted at a young adult. That is like my dream TV watch because I can just zone out and just not pay attention. And I think that's actually of the stories we listen to. I'm like, if it feels like a millennial slash Gen X way of dating... I'm probably here for it. (laughs) Also, I think I liked it a lot as well because it's something I could relate to because it wasn't far away from where we are Mm. rather than people in caves (laughs) picking out their men. (laughs) Yeah, there were definitely some good stories in there. But as we're exploring through an hour of chat, not all of them moved us and not all of them connected with us. But it's quite interesting the ones that we all generally found quite good. I'd love to see how they dramatise it as a TV show. Like, imagine this being a series. It could make a good visual. Yeah, I think especially this one. Thank you, Ambe, again, because that was also (laughs) another one of my favourites, which just I could not remember. And it's another one that I just, I just thought this could be a film, just a short story, because, and it is, of course, it's a very important story. Yes, because, of course, it's the bullying and what teenagers go through, not only teenagers, but a lot of Mm. people. But in that case, they were young people. I work with teenagers every day of my life. So I just relate to that. So I could just see that pool and her in her pink bikini, you know, running towards the pool. And then he followed her. And also the fact that they've always liked each other. So I just loved it that even if they were apart for two years and then he had his 18th birthday party and this is when all this happened. I thought, just thought, wow, how amazing. And also I'd love to see the face of the other girl because she thought she was yeah. the one. She had everything. And in the end, she ended up with just herself, nothing else. So uh, that was really There is something quite nice about thinking as a whole, like, oh, what could this look like? How would we imagine it based on the descriptions? Because what I did think was done excellently was how well she described the women. She would describe the skin and how rich their skin tones were. And it was very in your face and it was very prominent. But I liked that. And I remember listening to a talk with Tomi Adeyemi, who wrote Children of Blood and Bone. And she was saying that When she was writing Children of Blood and Bone, she kept having to add the descriptions of the skin tone and actually overdo it. And her editor said to her, you don't need to keep describing their skin. She's like, no, I really need to because so many of us, when we're reading books, actually quickly default to thinking characters are white. And so without that description reminding you that this is someone with rich golden skin or rich, dark, earthy brown skin, like we need to hear that because we're going to quickly, without it, slip into reimagining that character, whether they're black or Asian or not, we'll reimagine them, whether that's lighter or just white in general. And I thought that was quite interesting because what Bolu did so well in this is when she was talking particularly about the black characters, I instantly got like a sense of them. And then that made me really, really, really want a visual. I want to see the colourfulness of the wrappers. I want to see the richness of the marketplace. I want to smell the smells. And I feel like that part, at least for me, was done so exceptionally well in some of the stories is that you can create like a good sense of place and sense of world in some of them, not all of them. But I really appreciated the skin tone descriptions for sure. Hey, how are you finding Audio Book Club so far? Do you think you want to get in on the action? Well, you can. You can join us for our next live event and taping on Sunday, the 30th of May at 4pm, where we'll be sharing our thoughts on nervous conditions by Titi Dangarimba. 
You can register to attend at contentisqueen.org forward slash ABC6. The link is also in the show notes. Or you can send your thoughts, questions and suggestions to us on WhatsApp on plus four four seven seven one five four zero eight eight three one. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you follow, leave a review and share it with a friend. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you love audiobooks and can never decide what to listen to next, check out the You Heard It Here First podcast, where you'll get honest reviews of audiobooks, podcasts and dramas available on Audible. You can follow the podcast today on your favourite podcast player. Now I'd love to welcome author and screenwriter Bolu Babalola. Hi, Bolu. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, I'm Bolu Babalola and I am author of Loving Colour. Anyone want to jump in with a question first? I was wondering, did you study mythology at all, like at university, or was it just a hobby that you just enjoyed stories from way back when? No, I studied law and then I studied American politics and history for my master's. But, you know, I, I'm a reader and I love storytelling and fairy tales and I'm a romantic and I love history. I'm a massive history buff. And so these are the things that I seek out and the things that I love consuming media wise. And so it was a natural thing for me because I just have a passion for storytelling in general. And of course, folk tales and mythology, that storytelling in such a fundamental way, it says so much about our histories and about our cultures and about us as humans and where we come from. So no, I didn't study it, but it was a very natural passion for me. Nice. I wanted to know about the process of researching these stories, because in your author's note, you mentioned you chose the ones that you had, but there were loads that you were reluctant to include simply because you didn't feel like you could give them their full glory. But I was curious to know what was the process of researching like and how long did that take? I mean, it was really, really fun. Like I said, I have a passion for folk tales and history and everything like that. So actually my problem was pulling myself out of the research mode and being like, oh, wait, no, I have to actually write these stories that take inspiration from these stories because I could just sit there and learn so much about these different cultures. But most of it was done as I went along because I started with a prescriptive list just to appease my publishers but I'm a very lax writer when it comes to that and I knew that a restrictive list would not I probably would not do that sometimes you try a story and it doesn't work so I would then search for something that could take its place so I allowed myself the freedom to go ahead and choose stories as I went along and see which stories spoke to me directly because it's one thing to just google folklore from around the world and come out with a list but it's another thing to read them to see, oh, I see something in these characters or I see themes in the story that I can work with and make my own, which is really important to me as well because stories are original as much as they take inspiration from these folk tales and pay homage to them and are rooted in these different cultures. I wanted to put my own voice, my own spin onto it. So it was just kind of like an alchemical thing where I was like, okay, I can work with this. And it spoke to me and sometimes I would try it and I was like, you know what? 
it doesn't work with me and it doesn't fit into this short story form and then I'd move on but it was important for me to allow myself that freedom otherwise you just get stuck in trying to do something that isn't working for me and writing for me needs to feel fluid for it to work and for it to resonate with people I've got another question it's about romance really where did it come from the desire to talk about romance and love I've always been a romantic I've always loved love so it wasn't even a thing that I decided to do it's something that I've always been drawn to in the media that I consume um, I think romance and love is a great prism for understanding humanity and our desire to be seen and to be liked and to be liked for who we are and for our essences to be held and you know wars are fought over love and romance in every part of our history we see it as part of us evolving as humans and I think romance is such a great way such a great prism to understand our connections and our connections are what make us humans and what galvanize humanity so for me it was just like a natural thing to explore it wasn't even something that I decided to do all my most of my work that I, my next novel is going to be romance and friendship that is my space that I like to explore and then doing it and getting to explore different cultures just made so much sense to me because love is such a humanizing force. And we only ever see it really on the mainstream in kind of one sense, which is very white and white women are like deserving of this softness and black women are hypersexualized or hypermasculinized and we're disallowed that feeling of being embraced for who we are. So it was important for me to write about love in that way and also explore womanhood, but in particular, Black womanhood through that way. I really, really wanted to know why short stories versus like a full novel was your first foray into the big writing process and the publishing process. The thing is, a lot of people only see something that's been six years in the making So the novel that's going to be next was the novel that I was working on when I got approached by my editor to do this anthology. And I said no like three times because I was so focused on my novel. And the brief was History of Love. My first fiction thing that I put out there was a short story called Netflix and Chill, which I was shortlisted for the Guardian and Fourth Estate short story competition. And that's what I put out there. So that's my first introduction to the world kind of met me through a short story. And that was the first short story that I ever really wrote because before it, it was always long form. I've written since I was young. So I've, I've had so many novels, not, not saying they were good, but I have so many novels like dating back from when I was like 16 years old. So when the short story came about when I was like 25, I did it and I really enjoyed the form. I enjoyed building a whole world and compacting it into this succinct way. And you get to really explore emotions in a different way because you have to get this character across and you have to get people to connect to this character and know they're one such a short space of time. So that's when my love for the form started. But I was working on my novel and then my editor approached me and said, would you like to do it? And the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Of course, like, brief history of love. And then when I started to think about the history of love in relation to our folklore and our mythologies, it just started to fall into place because we know Cinderella and the Brothers Grimm's and that's Western European folklore. And those stories form the basis of so many romances and so many stories that come after it in the mainstream you can really detect where it came from they often form the blueprint and so I was like why don't we have that and a short story form is just such a simple way to be able to explore these different cultures and also tell different stories within the romance as a genre because I'm a massive fan of it so even as a fan I got to write the media girl rom-com with Psyche or like 
the action with Sia or the dystopian noir with Nefertiti. So when I started to think about it, it made sense to introduce my voice and my taste to the world in this way. Like, this is what I'm about. It's almost like my mission statement. I want to write about powerful women within this context. Nice. That's so cool. We had had a bigger discussion around this being visual and actually some Mm. of the stories feeling so crystal clear in our minds, like we're in this world, we can see it, we can picture it, we can smell it. And I would just love to know what stories you would love to see as like a TV show or as a film. The thing is, all of them. The answer is all of them. I don't know if it's because I'm a screenwriter as well, because I am a screenwriter because of this part of me. I visualise. When I write, I really want you to be able to see the world, to be in the world, to taste the world. And both mediums inform my imagination. So all of them, I think all of them are a homage to the like things that I like to see. And I think all of them would be great. But obviously, there's some where this would be a great movie. Sia, Nefertiti, things like that. Those are obviously lend themselves to like really rich, fully fledged feature length stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. Some of them definitely lend themselves to being films. And we were like even talking about Nalali's story of just being like, that's such a film that we could have seen growing up. Or just that was like... absolutely the intention, particularly with Nalali. I really wanted it to feel like a teen high school rom-com that we grew up seeing, but set in Africa and set with a gorgeous black girl. And also her having vitiligo was really important for me as well because I wanted us to be represented in a different way. And also her being loved for who she is. And I also wanted to generally to approach the idea that you can have your insecurities but also have an underlying confidence to know that you're the shit. Because Nalele, of course she has her insecurities naturally and also she's a teenager on top of that. But also, she does know her worth, so which is why one of my favourite lines in that story is, he's like, you think you're better than my friends, and she's like, well, I am better than them. <laughs> because she knows that. She knows that even though she's made to feel insecure and she's going through her own journey of self-love and embracing who she is, fundamentally, she knows her worth, which is really important for me. Yeah, that came across, and that was cool. I was just wondering, what is your favourite of the short stories? Uh, I don't really have one that were like kids and I also like worked so hard on all of them. I think it'll be like unfair to me to even pick one. I loved Nefertiti because I really got to geek out with Egyptian mythology and Matt is actually the ancient Egyptian concept of justice. And I got to bring her to life in a woman. Like she's literally falling in love with justice. And then you have to question the idea of what even is justice? Because she thought it was working with the duat, which is the police. But actually, they're not doing the right things. So I love building these larger questions within that story. And also one that's on the opposite end of the spectrum is Oren. Oren was one of the original stories and it was like a millennial twist on Love at First Sight. And I really love that because that was based on a bunch of bad dates. Like any millennial woman who dates men can really relate to that one. We know that man, that man that's very arrogant, thinks he's a prize, constantly putting you down. And we've all been on a date where you've just checked out and you're like, I'm just going to enjoy this as a spectator because this is not going to work. So (laughs) the only way I can survive this is watching it as if it's entertainment for me. And I love that. It's just very London. And I wrote that in an hour and a half and I had no edit. My editor was like, no, it's perfect. Oh, wow. I call that one a freestyle because it was kind of like a stream of consciousness. But I liked all of them. I love all of them. To counter Amber's question, which one was the hardest to write? 
I mean, it's so difficult because the difficulties in them, they're all different women, right? And they're all different stories, even though they have the same themes of like self-love and all of that stuff. And so their difficulties were different. So it's hard to say which was more difficult than the other. With Atem, I was building such a rich world that when I finished it, the first draft, it felt incomplete because it felt like it was part of a larger story. So I had to go back and start again and make it more conclusive. The first draft of Nelly was almost completely different because in the original story for Nelly, the man, he watched her bathing in the original story, bathing naked. And in the first draft, I wanted to pay respect to the roots. So I picture of her without her realizing. And I was like, no, this, this is still gross. Yeah. <laughs> so when I had to reassess it and be like, okay, no, he just sees her for who she is metaphorically. It doesn't have to be as obvious and as literal as I wrote it then. So I had to just kind of write it and then realize, no, this doesn't work. And then start again. But they all pose their problems, but they were all run in a different way to write. Nice. That's so funny. Because I can imagine like when listening back, a few of them definitely just felt like, well, this is business as usual. This is how women are. And I think that's exactly. also, yeah, that's like a testament to the fact that it's like, well, of course it's like this. And then you get to the end and with the author's note, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, <laughs> this is a different time. And women did not have this level of power, autonomy no. or freedom. It almost doesn't yeah. feel like a retelling when you're listening to it with modern ears. It's just like, this is how it should be. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I had to do a lot of work in that. Even in Sia's story as well, took a lot of reworking because she was a virgin damsel in distress and she was to be sacrificed for a snake god. And this brave young soldier who was her betrothed, Maddie, was to slay the snake god in order to save his betrothed. Obviously, I made Thea the army general, Maddie, her second in command, the snake god, like her uncle. And then it fell into place. But it was really fun to unpick really interesting things from the original. And they kind of rework them with like a feminist lens and the modern lens and one that has actual relationship in the center because it was just about possession and saving her. Whereas it would be really interesting if they wanted to save each other. And it would be really interesting if She's the one who's the army general and he's her second in command. And it's about their partnership and him supporting her and almost being in awe of her power and respecting her power. I'm curious to know, how has your writing process evolved through not only just this process? Because you mentioned that you were writing the novel that's coming out now. That's been in the works for ages. So has this process of writing Love in Colour changed or evolved your writing process at all? I think all writing evolve how your writing style everything makes you better writing is a craft so the more you do it the more you're honing yourself so naturally anything I would write calls in color honing my skill because as you're writing you're honing your skills and you're finding your voice and you're chiseling your voice yes your voice your tone is unique but it gets more refined the more you practice it so naturally that was that natural evolution and progression but otherwise I think being edited made me ask myself questions because a good editor always asks questions and a good editor who knows you knows your voice trusts your voice trusts the story that you're trying to tell and knows the story you're trying to tell will ask good questions that make you write better and deeper and so now when I'm writing I'm asking myself questions that an editor might ask me as a writer and be like okay but why would she do this and is this action explained by the characters I've set out and how can I make her better? And how can I make the story deeper and the emotional beats deeper? 
So I think it helps in that way as well. Just I'm asking myself questions and I'm being edited also makes you a better writer in that it deepens your talent. Sometimes you think you know your capabilities and so you, you write to achieve those capabilities. We never ask yourself if you can do more than what you've already been doing. So I think that now going back to my manuscript, which I really love, like I really enjoy the story, but I was able to deepen it in a way that I wouldn't have been able to without loving color. And also generally the subject of love and romance, exploring so many genres and so many relationships, I was able to go to my manuscript and deepen the connection and relationship, which was really cool. That is really cool. Anita? First question, what's about romance? Does it make you analyse the male perspective of romance? The second question, what was it like for you analysing love in relation to your parents? So in regards to the first question, I think it does. You know, we never get to really see the emotional side of things with a man. That's why, like with Eros, I loved writing Eros. Eros is really the start of Psyche's story to me anyway, because he seems like a player, but he's completely insecure and is in complete adoration of Psyche and just does not think he's good enough. And he makes stupid decisions based on that insecurity. And I think it's important to humanize men in that way because I say that very carefully because it's, of course, they're terrible men. But sometimes I think it's very easy to demonize men. And also it's important for me to say that he thought he was making the right decision. But I really want to complicate our idea of the male protagonist who just is kind of a dick, even though Eros isn't really a dick. Because I think it's really easy to villainize and demonize without actually complicating the question of why did he do these things and where is his heart at when he's doing these things? Because he still really cared about Psyche and he wanted that to come across, but he also was trapped within his own insecurity of what if he doesn't like me back and I'm clearly not good enough. And it manifested it in him acting very carelessly in regards to her emotions. It was very interesting. And in regards to my parents, I've always grown up with my parents' story living with me because my parents are very open and because they've known each other their whole lives a story that I've heard over and over again we met here and when we used to go back to Lagos they'll be like this is the block where we grew up when we went to Abiogata their hometown this is our school this is how we met and it's part of history and it's part of our legacy especially as a second generation Nigerian so when I came to it, it would just fell out very naturally. And the love is something that I live with and I see all the time. So it wasn't too difficult to write it down. And the anecdote is inspired by my parents' story. So it's not exactly what happened. It takes inspiration from what they've told me. So knowing that they lived a block apart, but they didn't meet, then I wonder what if, what if they didn't meet and they didn't know that they walked past each other? What if they met when they were kids and just walked past each other? And that's ended up in the story. So the, Real story gave me license to imagine things that could have happened. And I really loved writing their story and their love and their romance is a massive inspiration to me, just their friendship and their partnership. But also I think it was nice for their locale to be written down in that way, where they grew up in Lagos, Abiokuta, these things because it's part of our history and part of our legacy. And it's really heartwarming to me, like my friends, father was like this is the first time I've seen a Lagomeji written down in literature there's that side of it as well paying homage to my roots and where I came from that's so nice that's lovely I think that's so important as more of us get to write our stories and document them in literature in this way and like through the traditional format I'm hearing more and more people like especially with children of blood and bone and other West African stories reaching prominence this idea of like hearing 
or seeing your name or seeing versions of your name or your family's name in literature, that's magical. That's impactful. It it means something. It holds so much more than we can imagine. Yeah. I'm glad it exists for sure. Where do you see Love and Colour sitting in history? Where do you see it? What's its place? What a big question. (laughs) I mean, I I couldn't possibly say. Where would you like? (laughs) But all I can speak to is the messages that I get from women from around the world saying that how it feels to be seen and it gave them hope and joy and we're so used to the images of black women being brutalized or being a disallowed softness or if we're strong all we are is strong we're not allowed to be able to relax or let our guards down I think I can speak to that and it means so much to me. I think that it does an impact that I feel tangibly because loving color is romance of love, but they're saying that it's not by force to have romance. Like you can love yourself and it's only if the romance serves you. And if it's a relationship that elevates and embraces who you are and you feel like you can do the same to that person, you have to challenge each other as well as hold each other and elevate each other. So I think that is the impact that I can see right now from what told to me and the one that I hope it continues to have. We have come to the end of the show. Thank you so much to Bolu for sharing her thoughts. Now, who's in the mood for a hot girl summer? Because I am. Ready to have a go? You can become an audio bookworm and yes, that does include if you've read and not listened to the book. Our next event is on Sunday the 30th of May at 4pm where we'll be discussing Nervous Conditions by Titi Dangarengba. You can register at contentisqueen.org forward slash ABC6 or find everything you need in the show notes. If you can't bear to wait a month for your next audio book fix, check out You Heard It Here First a recommendation show that helps you find a new audiobook, a podcast or drama to listen to on Audible. You can subscribe and listen to it on your favourite podcast player. Thank you to all of our excellent audio bookworms and our special guest, Bolly Babalola. This was a Content is Queen production. Hosted by me, Imriel Morgan. Produced by Amber Miller and Imriel Morgan. The clips used are from Love & Colour, courtesy of the Headline Publishing Group. Music and sound effects are sourced from Epidemic Sound. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.